I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Our guest today is retired Army Special Operations soldier and author, Sergeant First Class Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan enlisted in the Navy after graduating from high school in Lowell, Oregon. He then served in the Air Force, eventually joining the Army in 2008. He served on multiple deployments, including Iraq, Afghanistan, and several South and Central American countries. His autobiography, Tip of the Spear, is the inspiring true story of his incredible return to active duty and subsequent combat deployments after stepping on an IED. Ryan served as a Green Beret 18 Charlie, or Special Operations Engineer, a demolitions expert. As the tip of the spear, his role was to ensure that the routes taken by U.S. and Afghan troops were free of IEDs, or improvised explosive devices. While rescuing an Afghan soldier outside a mud-walled compound in 2010, knowing that he was in uncleared territory, Ryan stepped on an IED with his right foot. The device exploded, leaving his foot dangling at the end of his leg. He describes that in detail in his book. What makes Ryan's story different is that after undergoing two dozen surgeries in a, in a lengthy and torturous rehab, he fought to return to active duty. He was actually medically retired, but multiple skin grafts successfully reattached his lower leg and he was aided in his recovery by wearing a new prosthetic device known as an IDEO, Intrepid Dynamic Exoskeletal Orthosis. Unfortunately, we don't have much time to go over that in the interview, but you'll have to check out his book. Once he passed a series of tests, Ryan was able to rejoin the 7th Special Forces Group less than a year later, redeploying to Afghanistan in March 2012. In 2016, he volunteered to return to Afghanistan again. During a firefight with the Taliban, he risked his life under heavy enemy fire to rescue three Afghan soldiers who were cut off from friendly forces, and he helped return the bodies of two dead Afghan soldiers, living out the ethos that no one gets left behind. For his historic efforts on the battlefield, Ryan was awarded the Silver Star, our nation's third highest award for valor. He and his wife, Dawn, now live in Florida. Well, so Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today on Hope in the Trenches. Now, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, in a, you're in Florida now, but you're not originally from Florida. You've got some Oregon roots. Can you tell our listeners about how and where you grew up and, and your Oregon connection? Yeah, so um, I'm Florida by military. Um, but no, I, I grew up in, um, outside of Eugene, Oregon in a little town called Lowell, Oregon. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where, um, that's my, I guess it's more than an Oregon connection. I am Oregonian, um, and moved out of the state when, you know, when I joined the military, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm a, I'm a Oregon duck and you know, everything else. So 
Well, so most of our listeners are probably going to know where the Dexter Reservoir is. So, and actually, mm-hmm. probably some are familiar with with Lowell. Mm-hmm. So now, your father was a Vietnam veteran, and you talk about that quite a bit in in your book. But maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about what made you join the military. Yeah. So um, my yeah, my dad is a Vietnam veteran. He's also he was born and raised in uh, Corvallis. Okay. Um, but he. Um, yeah, he just like me joined the military at 18, um, and went to Vietnam, uh, for two tours. Um, in my family, the military was always kind of what was going to happen. Um, when I turned 18, you know, my, my dad basically told me it's, you know, you can, uh, you can go out and get a job. Um, you can, uh, try and go to college, but you know, you're not really college material. Um, you know, cause you're kind of dumb. I was like, all right, cool. And he said, but I, you know, I highly recommend joining the military because, you know, you can serve, you can do your four years, serve your country. And then, um, when you're done with that, you can come back and, and, and figure things out from there, but you're going to see the world. You're going to, you're going to serve your country. And, um, and it's going to open your eyes because, um, if I let you stay here in, in, uh, this little town, you're, you're probably never going to leave. So, um, I'm, I'm letting you know, um, you could do whatever you want, but you can't stay here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what kind of, that's basically the push into the military, but I was going to go anyways. I've been, I've been playing war since, you know, I was, I was old enough to walk. So running around in the woods with, uh, with, uh-huh. with sticks and yeah. Yep. Now, uh, that was a pre nine 11 military that you were joining. So what did, what did you expect when you went into the military and did, did, did it meet your expectations or did, did you, and were you thinking right away that you'd make a career out of it? So, um, I didn't know what to expect because it, it, it was just, it, it was something so completely foreign to me. I mean, before the military, I'd, n- I'd never even been, um, been on a plane before, so I didn't, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, in the mid nineties, you know, the military wasn't really looking for anybody. They were still doing the downsize thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I talked to an air force recruiter and he just thought it was hilarious that I even came in there with my test scores that I had with my ASVAB. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> all right. And, uh, the army, um, they didn't need anybody. They were like, yeah, we can get you an infantry contract like eight months from now, maybe a year. Um, the Marines, I mean, that dude was just so like mean, he was just <laughs> angry all the time. And he, he had this huge, you know, lip of dip in and he, he like, he says he's talking, but he's yelling at you and dip spits flying everywhere. I was like, Oh man, you're scary. I don't want to join the Marines. You guys are all scary. And, um, and the Navy is just, you know, the guys, I mean, you want to go to exotic ports and see exotic women. And I'm 18. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sign me up. I do, and he's like, "Cool, man, sign up." <laughs> so it made. I mean, I went all over the world in the Navy. It was it was definitely an eye opener. I mean, our ship went everywhere. Um, but as far as my expectations pre nine eleven, um, I would say that the Navy was a big eye opener because uh, living on board a nineteen sixty eight commissioned boiler fed ship. Um, yeah, that was an eye opener. <laughs> that was definitely was so, but it was good. I, I would never do it again, but I'm glad I did. So, well, yeah, I can, uh, I can relate to that a little bit when I, 
Well, first of all, I think my Marine recruiter was more of the the career recruiter, and 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 he mm-hmm. had he had the contract with my name on it. But I I got an ROT, I put in for the, a couple of ROTC scholarships, and I said, well, if I if one of these comes through, you know, I'm tr- I'm trying to get to college. That's so that's how I'm how I'm going to pay for it. And so so I didn't end yeah. up joining the Marine Corps either. But but I can relate to that too. I was a, growing up in a small town in southern Minnesota. Um, very homogenous communities. Now you go into the military, and now you're exposed to people from all all walks of life, um, united around that common that common purpose and, and and that mission. Yeah, yeah. And so your your stint on active duty Navy was pretty. You were at an you were there at an interesting time as well. And you talk about this in your book too. But your ship responded to the USS Cole. Yeah. So we. Um, this was my second, um, deployment to the Persian Gulf and, um, and yeah, we were getting ready to go through, uh, maybe the Straits of Hormuz. I, I can't remember, but, um, we were real close, uh, to the, um, um, coast of Yemen right there. And, um, this distress signal went out that, Hey, we've, we have a ship that's sinking. And, you know, I don't quite remember that's, that wasn't my job. My job was, I think I was on the helm when the distress, um, signal actually came out and it was like, Hey, we're going full steam ahead, um, to the Gulf of Aden to, um, to rescue, you know, these, the, 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 um, the sailors on the coal because the ship's sinking. So we got there, uh, I don't know, like eight, maybe 10 hours after, you know, the terrorist attack. And we didn't really know what happened. At least the command wasn't telling everybody what happened as of now, because they just, it was like, our mission is to get there and then we'll, we'll go from there. And yeah, when, um, I was part of, I was one of the, um, uh, first rescue and assistance teams that went over cause I was a rescue swimmer. And, um, and that's when it was all of a sudden like, Oh, Okay, so this, you know, that was my first eye-open, eye-opening experience to, um, to, um, someone wants to kill you, mm-hmm. you know, and um, not not necessarily military on military action, but it was, you know, it, it was a, t- it was one of the first. I mean, not one of the first major, but it led up to 9/11. But it was, um, you know, the attack on the USS Cole was one of the first salvos in the uh, war on terror. And, um, I, I remember just kind of taking it all in because it was weird. The fact, cause we were, you know, as we were carrying bodies off in body bags, um, it was very strange feeling that somebody, you know, wants to kill you. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you can think about it all you want, you know, like, Oh man. Yeah. I, uh, man, that guy really wants to, wants to kill these guys. You see it on TV or an action movie or something like that, but to actually be a part of, you know, somebody wants to end your life. That's a whole different feeling. And Mm -hmm. it's a whole, it's a, it's a different mindset. Um, and so, yeah, um, that was my first, I guess, uh, you would say introduction to, um, to what would be known as the war on terror and, um, the, you know, the amount of lives that it would take from there. So in the meantime, you ended up, you ended up leaving active Navy and you, you were, you were in the Navy reserves. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, back you were back in Minnesota, where your wife at the time—that's where where she was from. Uh, incidentally, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think where was that in Minnesota? Rot, was that Rochester area? Um, it was. Yeah, it was a little town called Foley, Minnesota, by uh, Saint Cloud. Okay, so I know I know that mm-hmm. area too. I went to uh, I went to Saint John's uh, in Collegeville, just up I ninety four from there. Yeah. Um, 
But you were, so you were in the Navy Reserves then, and you got a slot to go to BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition mm-hmm. uh, School, while you were in mm-hmm. the reserves. Um, and where were you, where, where was that with respect to 9-11 then? Um, that was, gosh, that was early 2002. So, um, teams were just heading over there. No one was really, you know, it wasn't, it still wasn't really a thing. Cause I mean, the first ODA teams went in October, um, 2020 or 2001. And, um, and then the follow up, the follow on forces, you know, and again, I wasn't there, so I don't really know, you know, what it was made up of, but, you know, I would say probably November, December, January, February. And I was in buds in like, I think March of 2002. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, yeah. Very early. So were you, did you kind of, at that point, were you trying to get to war? Was that kind of where you were, were you already looking at that in your military career? Um, no, I, I, I mean, the, I was a very young, um, guy, um, attempting to go to buds for the wrong reasons. And my mindset was I wanted to be a Navy SEAL because of the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I wasn't really, you know, that the, the whole, you know, going to war part and everything like that in my mind, it was still all like the movies. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I went to buds and that's why I, you know, ended up failing out was because I went there for, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to be a movie star and I didn't realize, um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's movies are movies. This, this isn't the movies kind of thing. So status, I mean, that's a very different motivator. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I can relate to that a little bit too. I was, I was on active duty at the time and uh, well, late nineties, early two thousands, and uh-huh. and it got to got to go to Ranger School and fa- and failed for probably some of the same reasons. I was uh, I, I wanted that, but wasn't yeah. wasn't doing what I needed to do to to prepare myself to to earn that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep, yeah. It's a it's a whole di- it's a whole different ball game, and it's a course that it's. Um, I, I I don't have the statistics on it, but I'm fairly certain that you can't go to buds. Um, just, yeah, I'll just see how this goes. I don't think yeah. it works that way. Yeah. Like you're either 100% prepared and you know exactly why you're there and what it takes to get through it, or you're not going to make it. So, and so, well, I think you do a great job talking about this or on talking about what you were thinking and, and what changed then over the course of your life. Then by the time you enlisted in the air force and, and you, you tried to become a combat controller in the, in the air force. Mm-hmm. Um, you ended up working in was it munitions? I had a I had a conversation uh-huh. about this earlier this morning with an, uh, one of our air guard chaplains. He said you got to be really specific. Yeah. They don't like you know the the people that that build the bombs and the people that hang the bombs. Those are two different career fields. And yeah, he, he said they're very yep. specific one about that. Armament. Yeah, one of them's ammo. One of them's armament. So yes, and so then um, and and you t- you tell a great story about how you ended up switching then over over to the army. Um, mm-hmm. but were you, do, were, do you think by then, um, your mindset had changed or can you talk maybe about what, what had changed mentally and, or spiritually or anything that, that had changed your mindset then when you had an opportunity to go to special forces selection? Yeah. So, um, when I went into the air force, um, and I, I started going through the combat control pipeline, I didn't realize, um, I had, been on medication in my past that actually, um, um, what was it? Um, 
or like was not waverable, discluded me or whatever okay. it's called. And, yeah. and, and they hadn't, they hadn't have caught it through the pre, uh, medical screenings. And so, um, I think it was, I went, I went to the hospital for, for some reason or another, and they went looking through my records. They're like, Oh, <laughs> you can't even be in this pipeline is like, well, great. So now what do I do? So it was just another hang up. But, um, when I, so I did my four years in the air force, and, um, I was going through, you know, a pretty nasty divorce at the time. And I went into the personnel office to, you know, to update my records from married to single and, you know, go, go down that whole thing. And I saw this poster on the wall with the, um, with like a guy in a uniform and half of it was class A's and half of it was air force dress blues said, go blue to green. So I asked the one, I asked one of the counselors about it and they're like, yeah, if you're in an overman career field. Um, the army is accepting direct over transfers. And I was like, Oh, and so I gave them my career field and they're like, yeah, you're over man. Oh, (laughs) so then they got me in contact with the recruiter and the recruiter, um, he said, yeah, man, we, we've got basically everything's open. Um, right now the army needs people. Um, well, what are you looking at? I said, infantry goes, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely wide open. Why do you want to go infantry? I was like, uh, I just, I just need to do something different. I want to get into the war and all this stuff. And he goes, man, you're, you're a little bit old to be playing those kind of games. It's like, okay. You know, I'm 29, yeah. um, E5 and all this other stuff. And he's, yeah. He goes, have you ever thought about special forces? And I was like, yeah, I have. I mean, um, I ran into those guys plenty in Iraq and my dad was, you know, my dad was with, uh, Max V Sog, um, as an attachment, in Vietnam. And so, yeah, I know, I know all about, well, I know all about what I, you know, know from like TV and, and, and talking to people and stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't know all about him, but, um, and so I was, you know, he, we got to talking about it. I go, well, I don't have any qualifications for that. I mean, I grew up running around the woods in Oregon, but I mean, I'm, I've never been in a combat arms career field. And there's, there's, there's a difference, you know, it's like, um, I can land nav because I can look over there and see a mountain peak. And I'm like, yep, I'm walking that way or find a Creek and follow it South. Okay. Got it. Everything leads to a road, not a problem, but you know, all this soldiering stuff like land navigation, shooting and all this other stuff. I was like, I've, I've never done that. You know, I qualified once a year on a mm-hmm. weapon system and that, and that's it. If I ever even got to see it again. <laughs> and he goes, well, I mean, you may, you may actually be surprised, man. You never know. Says, all right. So, um, I went, I went through, uh, infantry basic. I was, uh, uh, with the, uh, 18 x-ray is what it was called. And so I signed up with the x-ray course and I, I, I just got to thinking, I was like, yeah, I, I'm probably not going to make it. Um, but I don't ever want to look back and know that I didn't try because mm-hmm. I was scared to fail. I was like, I already failed once at buds. I was like, um, and it's because I, you know, I quit on myself. I knew I had more to give, but I just, I didn't want it. And I go, I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to put everything into this. I don't care. I'm, my mind is, you know, I need to get my mind off of this nasty divorce. Um, I just need to completely bury myself into something that is, that is, you know, um, um, what is it going to be extremely challenging, something I've never done before, something I never even contemplated on doing before. I just need to bury myself into this. And when the dust clears, we'll see what happens. 
And so, yeah, I went, you know, I did infantry basic jump school and then, um, the x-ray prep course and got to selection. And I just, I, I did, I, every time my mind was like, well, this is usually when you give up on yourself, you ready to go. It's like, no, and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And next thing you know, it's, you know, um, we started off with 405 guys and 55 guys got selected. And then, um, moved on to the Q course, which selection is not the hardest part, but moved on to the Q course. And, you know, out of those 405 guys, there was 19 of us that made it through. So yeah, it was, it, it was one of those, those things that, um, it just reinforced that your, your mind or your attitude, um, or your want to with it, it'll dictate so much. You can mm-hmm. do anything if you just want to do it. Um, and if you're going to dedicate, um, your, your time, effort, um, emotionally, physically and everything else into it, you're, you're probably going to be successful. It's just, most people don't know how to do that because, uh, we are a culture of comfort zones. We like to live in our comfort zones and stepping out of those comfort zones is very, very difficult because you have a chance to fail. And Mm -hmm. we have this taboo, um, mindset, which I understand it completely. Cause when I failed buds, I went into a depression about it, but, um, um, we have this taboo mindset about failure and we don't realize, um, that, um, failure is actually very, very healthy for growth. Absolutely. Um, You can't grow without failing. It's impossible. And I've seen it in all of these courses I've been to that are just ball busters. Usually the guys that have never had to step out of their comfort zone before everything has been easy for them. They're usually the ones that go quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just, I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that was the transition from Navy air force to the army and eventually, you know, to, uh, getting my green beret and, uh, moving on to seventh, uh, special forces group. Well, I think you touched on it too, that it's, it's so important to know your why and, and to know why, mm-hmm. why you're doing something. Um, so is, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the philosopher, he, he's the guy who said, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And, yeah. but, but he also said that, uh, a, a man who knows his why can bear with almost any how. So if you, yep. if, if you know your why you can put, you can put up with almost anything. Yep. And, and, and my endure. why was that victory. Yeah. I, I just needed one victory. Um, one W had a whole, I racked up a whole bunch of L's in my life. I needed one W mm-hmm. and crazy enough. Once I actually looked at buds and instead of feeling sorry for myself and make myself out to be this victim, well, I had pneumonia and I, you know, I had a, it injured this and I was blah, blah. And actually looked at the fact, um, buds and what I learned those lessons when I actually turned that failure into healthy lessons, it actually helped me succeed in the Q course. So, oh yeah, that, that, that failure at Ranger school for me has been a very powerful, uh, motivator and tool for, for growth. So now looking back to that decision again, too, do you think that was an opportunity that you were ready for? Or once you saw that opportunity, then did you have to devote yourself to preparation? Oh, so I have always, I mean, just, just from the lessons learned at BUDS and my brief um, appearance in um, the combat control pipeline, I, I've, you know, had a very um, good understanding of, um, of a military ass whooping, I guess you would put it and how they, in, in the courses that we go through. Um, so I, I, I had an idea 
what I wasn't prepared for is so the Navy and the Air Force, they like to run, 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 run. And if you can run, you're yeah, you're you're going to be a great fighter. All right, cool. Um, I'm not saying they're wrong, but five foot seven, you know, 210 pounds. I'm not a runner. The Army, regardless of what school you go to, the Army is like, oh, cool. Yeah, you passed your two-mile run. Congratulations. Now we're going to put 100 pounds on your back, and we want you to go operate. That was a whole nother stress that I – but I was good at it because I'm small – or not small, but I'm short, I'm compact, and I have the – you know, and I had the build for rucking. So I actually ended up, you know, being um, – kind of finding my niche because no i i cannot run i'm always the long shot buffalo coming in with a bunch of arrows sticking out of its side you know on a two mile run or a five mile or whatever it is but you put the ruck on my back and i can almost ruck as fast as i can run it's crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. so but yeah the army man they just they like to just like well i mean you got two legs and a back we're we're just gonna load you down okay move like oh geez <laughs> So there was a whole nother lesson that I learned there, but thankfully, um, thankfully God, God blessed me with a, a rucker's body, not a runner's body. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's a good thing. We're not all the same. Yeah. So, well, and so, and again, you, you tell the story, uh, really powerfully in, in your book, but that was then just kind of the start of, of the learning and the personal growth and, uh, some of the challenges that you might, that you would face. When you, uh, you know, so now you find yourself assigned to the seven special forces group getting ready to, to, mm-hmm. to deploy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, when I got the seventh group, um, we fell in perfectly on, um, the surge. So it was, um, we were just, um, Obama had announced the surge. We're building up troops <clears throat> to go back over, um, to Afghanistan. My ODA had just come home four months prior and they're getting ready to go back over. So when I checked into my team, they'd been home for about probably about three weeks. And I came in at a perfect time when they found out that they're going back over in four months. So guys are real, real happy <laughs> to say the least. But, um, so yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't have to wait long to deploy. And I, I, you know, I was excited about it because this, this, this is what, you know, this is what it was all about. We're, you know, we even had, um, um, Admiral Mullen flew in on, you know, when we were out there training he's like, Hey, look, good luck guys. We're, uh, we're sitting in this, um, company out of the battalion. We're sitting, you got, or maybe it was our battalion, but we're, we're sending you guys out to a pretty, pretty bad area in Helmand and Aruzgan province, that whole bordering area there. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was very, um, I don't know. I was excited and I was happy that I was getting to finally go and answer that question that, you know, potentially, because I think, I think men have been joining the military, um, for hundreds of years to answer one pretty, uh, pretty common question, I think, um, in our society. And that is, um, what will I do when someone's trying to kill me? Mm-hmm. How will I react? What does it feel like um, to be in combat, how will I react when bullets are flying or something like that? And, and like I said, I mean, we've been doing that forever when it, either it's either it's a, a schoolyard fist fight, you know, I'm, um, you know, how am I going to react when someone punches me in the face? Okay, cool. It's not as really cool as I thought until the next day, then it hurts really bad. 
Um, or what am I going to do when someone's actually trying to kill me? Um, the bullets are flying and we have all the media and we have, um, we have all the, um, um, our, our, um, the, I, I guess, you know, the movies and the TV shows and everything like that. So you're, you're growing up and you're watching these movies and, and you're seeing what this hero is. Um, this hero is the guy that, you know, he just made it through, you know, hell and back in combat and, and, and he's the dude that's, you know, experienced it all. And, and this is the, this is what a hero is as a man. And so I think a lot of guys in my generation, um, we wanted to, we wanted to know what, what would I do if someone tried to kill me? And so that's a very long explanation for, um, I, I was definitely excited for the deployment because, um, I had no clue what to expect mm-hmm. <laughs> and the closest I ever been to getting shot at was, you know, out in Eastern Oregon, we were shooting sage rats and, um, I was down below this hill and my friend didn't see me down there. And so he's shooting sage rats on the hill and the bullets are whizzing past me. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> stop. Um, but that was it. You know, I mean, I mean, I didn't know. And so you'd, be, you'd been in the military already for what, probably 10, 12 years at that point. And, and so that there's that question, then do I measure up? Yeah, I think I was at nine, I was at nine years at that point. And, um, and I did, I mean, I, yeah, I, I did want to know, you know, did I, did I have what it takes? Am, am I gonna, you know, I, I, I had that nagging, nagging gut wrenching feeling like when the rounds start flying. Cause I mean, we got all the briefs and we got that, you know, the, the, the one brief that I'm just like, I mean, this is, you know, I, I don't know if I agree or disagree with it, but it's, it, the guy's got to pump his chest and some of you won't make it home. And he was absolutely right. Um, we lost a lot of guys that trip, but, um, you know, it's, it, it was just in my head, like how, how I mean, how am I going to react? Do I have what it takes? Um, when, 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 when the guy on my left and my right, um, need me the most, you know, will I step up or will I cower? And you can't really know that until 762 is cracking past your head and explosions are going off around you and stuff. Then you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's a that's a hard time to figure it out. But the military has been trying to help us figure it out before we get to that point. And that's the reason why, you know, they they beat us down so bad in training. They they smoke you. They keep well, the army loves to um, keep food from you. I don't know why they do that, yeah, but yeah. they smoke you, they keep food from you, they keep sleep from you, they make you cold, wet, tired, hungry, 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 tired, cold, wet, and then you start to train because they can't mimic combat. It's impossible to mimic combat without guys dying. <laughs> and um, you know, we're not the Russian army. We're an acceptable loss for a training and um evolution for us isn't, you know, half half the guys out there training. So it's, it's, it's hard to figure it out until you're actually in that environment. Well, it, it didn't take you long then to, uh, to get into that situation. Yeah. Three days after we touched ground, we were, uh, we were in convoys heading out to our uh, VSO site and we got, we got ambushed and got lit up. It was, yeah. And so, um, and it, it felt good, but all of a sudden, um, it opened up the side of me that I didn't know of before and that even a basic fist fight isn't going to tell you because in the end people are going to break it up. If it gets out of control, you're, I mean, yeah, there's people out there that's fought for their lives, but most of the time it's going to get broken up. Well, no one's here to break it up. Um, it's, it's either you kill them or they kill you. 
And, um, and at the end of that first tick or troops in contact, um, I remember sitting there and I don't smoke, but one of the Afghans came up to me and he goes, your hands are shaking here smoke. And I was like, I don't smoke. He goes smoke. It's like, all right. And then I just calmed down. Um, but, um, all of a sudden I loved it mm-hmm. and it was awesome. And that adrenaline and the rounds that were hitting behind, um, all around us, you can see those dust crickets kicking up everywhere and the zip and the crack and the RPG explosions and everything like that. And I, you know, it was so scary and then it became addicting and that, and that entire trip until I got blown up, um, the, all of us, we were chasing one firefight after the other, it's called chasing the dragon. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, it's a very, very, very dangerous high. And, um, we're seeing some of the, um, results of that right now with, uh, with suicides and some other stuff that's going on, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, is because now that we don't have that next deployment, um, guys used to just sit there and like, all right, man, I got to keep my nose clean until the next trip to Afghanistan mm-hmm. where I can actually be me. The yep. U S government made me this. Now I can go over there and I can be who I'm supposed to be. I have to put on a whole new face while I'm here. You know, whether it's in the grocery store, or not pounding that one idiot's face in because, you know, he looked at you wrong or a guy cut you off on the street. You have to keep yourself contained because you got to get to that next deployment where you can actually be you. Yeah. And now we don't have that. And I th- and it's just I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but it's just really um, the mental health aspect. I don't think we've even seen a drop in the bucket compared to what's to come um, because of what I just said, that high that you get addicted to and you want to recreate it and you just you can't. So, yeah. And those those skills and those attributes, the things that keep you alive in a combat zone mm-hmm. don't, don't translate then so well back to back to Main Street, USA. Nope. No, not at all. It's, um, and it's, and it's a slippery slope. It's very dangerous because it it's, it, I don't know if there's an answer for the mind. Well, I do know the answer. I, I mean, the answer is easy. You know, I, you know, through all my mental health struggles that I went through and, and, um, you know, my struggles in the hospital after I stepped on my IED, um, I, I was very close to be in one of the 22 a day, I could see why people did it and I understood it. And it Mm -hmm. was a viable option if things got to this point. And so that right there is, you know, that was like, Whoa, that was an option. Um, but a lot of guys keep that option, you know, in their, in their dump pouch, just in case, you know, and that's, that, that's, that's the, uh, that's the dangerous part of where we're at right now, because the just in case is going to get even more, you know, you know, your hand's going to start reaching for that dump pouch quicker and quicker and quicker because thing, you know, there's no, there's no war to look forward to. And so how, so now the challenge is, is, well, what do we do? We just can't write all these guys off. First responders are going through it too, police officers and everything. And suicide rates are astronomical right now. So, well, we can't just write people off. How do you, you know, what's the, you know, what's the cure or what's this? And, you know, I have my own theories on it. Um, and I know what worked for me, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, that's what we're faced with as a nation right now. And <laughs> there's a lot of head scratching going on. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's not new either. This was already, uh, you know, more than a century or about a century ago, uh, another philosopher said, you know, suicides, the, 
the the one or the lasting the the enduring philosophical problem, right? Because how do we mm-hmm. how do we t- how do we take that off the table as 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 an option? Um, I've got some theories on some theories on that too, and I think um, well, and I think a lot of the stuff that you discovered along the way is 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 incredibly important. Yep, yep. You got I mean, to me, the number one thing that is that is just crippling veterans and um, law enforcement, uh, specifically law enforcement out of the first responder community, is people are leaving the service, whatever service you're in without a purpose. Yes. They used to be this, yep. and now I'm this. Um, you can go to Applebee's and get your military discount, and people could say, thank you for your service until they're blue in the face. But that doesn't fill that void. It mm-hmm. doesn't fill that gap because mm-hmm. you want people to understand, this is who I used to be. This is what I used to do. And when they can't understand it, now all of a sudden, you know, you're you're becoming a, you know, either you're um, – reclusing yourself, secluding yourself, lashing out with anger, or trying to drink yourself into another reality that works for you to fill that void that all of us are left with when we leave the military um, and or, you know, uh, police department. And, and so having a purpose is, is huge. But what helped me and, you know, my, my mental health struggles that I had and, um, and to, and, and, and to a point, like no one waves a magic wand and you're, and you're all suddenly cured. No. I mean, it, this is life <laughs> and life slaps you down and down and down. And then you get up and you're like, all right, you know, I stepped on an IED, I recovered, I'm, I'm heading back to my unit and man, life is great. It's like, why, why am I getting put in the ground yeah. again? I just yeah. overcame all this. This isn't fair. Yeah. But, um, but for me, the purpose that I was given, I actually figured it out this year um, when Russia went into Ukraine and my purpose was to help people. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden now, you know, I'm going to Ukraine and I'm, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're removing landmines and, or we're bringing food or helping build this or whatever it is. And I don't have a gun. I'm not a combatant. Um, And all, and the fulfillment that I'm getting from having the purpose of just helping people. I mean, to me, that that's the cure for PTS is having a purpose that helps others because what they do for me, like, yeah, I love, you know, it's great. I love helping people. I was like, Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate you removing these mines out of our farm field. Great. It's, it's what that does for me. That's, I mean, that's, that's the cure. <laughs> you know, yeah, when people it. ask me, it's not just That's that it. dopamine hit. It's not. It's not just the 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 rush you get from being in combat or you know with when you're on, walking the line between life and death, but but having something greater to to pull you through. And I, I've heard I heard something, it said years ago. Yep, something bigger than yourself. Yeah, th- that uh, you know, for especially for us as, as veterans too, to don't don't let your military service be the last great thing that you ever did. Don't don't let that be the last important thing that that, yep. that you ever did. Now you you finished your book, and I didn't I didn't catch this when I first read your book, and the Russia had not invaded Ukraine yet, but mm-hmm. but you end your book with the words, "I have a feeling that I haven't found my last IED." Page page three hundred and five. I got it in my notes, right? 
uh, as I was flipping, flipping back through your book, I thought, oh my goodness, uh, you know, <laughs> right. You didn't, I mean, you didn't know that, no, that you were going to go to Ukraine I when you thought, wrote that. I have a feeling I haven't found my, wow. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. Maybe, uh, yeah, that's wow. Well, no, I, I forgot all about that part. No one's ever brought it up either. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> because since Russia invaded Ukraine, so you you took your first trip over. I think you were working with youth with a mission, taking humanitarian uh-huh. supplies over. But then very quickly, uh-huh. you 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 found a niche because you know. And I was joking with Chris. So Chris is a former two seven five uh, Ranger guy, and right. Uh-huh. And we hear so often that people want a job in the military that's going to translate into life after the military, right? So, <laughs> but there's not a huge calling for eighteen Charlies or combat engineers out, outside the context. But but now um, you you took a trip over this summer, uh, and you're getting ready to make another trip over. You've raised money and bought mine detectors. Uh, and so uh-huh. you, you've been training U- Ukrainian forces on how to operate mine detectors and do do uh, minefield clearance and removal. And and you spent some time pulling mines out of farmers' fields. T- tell us about that. Yeah. So I um. So I, I mean, as as you know very well, um, special forces uh, we like to use the train, advise, and assist uh, method. And uh, so basically, what I did was my first trip over there. I went over there in the middle of March and, um, and I was driving, a I was driving a, basically a, a cargo van slash small bus. And we would go into areas as the Russians were moving in and we would gather the women and children. Um, and you know, the men, men had to stay behind, which is, um, super heartbreaking. There's, there's some scenes there I'll never forget for the rest of my life, but, um, we would gather up the women and children and then we would get them to Kiev and then get them into the rat line to uh, either Romania, Hungary or Poland and Poland, mostly Poland. Cause they've been, um, Poland's been absolutely amazing through this entire conflict. But, um, and so then as, um, April starts to roll around now, all of a sudden we have word, um, okay, because I was in Kiev. And so, you know, we're thinking, uh, they're trying to surround Kiev and, you know, there's, it's just, it's a laser light show every night with the rockets and the bombs and the artillery and all that other stuff. Um, but now all of a sudden the Russians, you know, we're getting word from people in European and Bucha, which are suburbs of Kiev that, Hey, we were told to come into our basements and it's been, you know, three or four days. Um, we don't hear anything outside. I think the Russians are gone. So now all of a sudden we're getting this word. So, um, we were one of the first group with all the, with all the news reporters, you know, going in the butcha. Um, we were one of the first groups in there with just, um, van loads of food and everything like that. And, and, um, and so that's what the, that's what the mission transitioned into. Well, that, and, and, and that was, that was when I found my purpose. You know, I was, I was 43 years old when I finally figured out who Ryan Hendrickson is. So weird. You know, Navy, Air Force, Army, uh, Special Forces, Green Beret, um, never knew what my purpose was. And it was when we went into Bucha. And once the civilians figured out that this wasn't a game and we were actually there to to help them, um, I saw people break down on a level I've never seen before, um, regardless of what country I've been to. And 
that's when I re that's when I figured out who I was mm -hmm. as a human being. Um, and so, but that mission turned into now we're going into areas after the Russians have left and we're bringing in supplies, medical aid, food, all this other stuff. Well, now all of a sudden we're getting hit up with, Hey, can you, can you help us medevac these kids or this person or, or yeah, um, these guys, they just died yesterday. Well, how landmines, booby traps. It's like, well, are they everywhere? They said they're everywhere. And I remember this one old lady, um, a babushka, which they control everything in villages, but she walked me over to this field and I could look out there and you could see the anti-personnel landmines. Mm -hmm. You could see the little, um, tilt rods just sticking up all throughout this field. And I was just like, Holy cow. And so now all of a sudden I have my purpose and that's helping other people. But you know, I could, I could run around with groceries all day long. And then people could ask that age old question. Well, why are you doing that in Ukraine when you have Americans that are starving here too? Very good point. Super valid point. Um, so now all of a sudden I do have that, well, how does 18 Charlie transition over to the civilian world? And I'm like, well, wait a second. I, I can help with this. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately, you know, when I left in May, um, it was crazy. My last mission was in Sevillon Donetsk and the Ukrainian commander is like, Hey man, um, you got to go. The Russians, the Russians are going to take this city. Um, you have to go. And three days later, the city fell to the Russians. Well, now the Ukrainians are about ready to take it back. And I, I can't wait to get back there and go demine that area. Cause, um, uh, a lot of friends in Sevillon Donetsk. I don't know if they're still there or not, but, um, but yeah, all of a sudden now I have this purpose and I can use, you know, like, Hey, I did this in the military. I was finding IEDs, whether I step on them or find them with mine detector. I mean, still found it. Um, but I can use this to help people. And then everything just kind of, it was like, Oh, Oh man, why did it take me 43 years to figure this out? Jeez, man, I am, my dad is correct. You are dumb. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for such a time as this, right? Uh, from the, from the, mm -hmm. the book of Esther that, uh, right. God's prepared you for, for such a time as this. Um, yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your, of your time too. Um, but you're, you're in the, in your book, you tell a story of your father's journey to faith, eventually becoming a pastor and, and mm -hmm. that's, that's a big theme of your book and your own story. Um, the idea that people can change and you touched on it earlier too, right? It doesn't always happen. That change doesn't, it's, it's not always on a dime. Sometimes it's like turning an aircraft carrier in the ocean. It, it, it takes a little while to get, to get it back on the right bearing, a little, but, but a little while. <laughs> yeah, but, but people can change. Um, and, yeah. and faith is a very powerful force, um, for, for change and for growth in, in our lives, um, with your own resiliency and your ability to bounce back. Um, how, how has your spiritual fitness or spiritual health, um, played a role? So I, um, I believe that, you know, God has always been a part of my life one way or another. Um, I chose not to pay attention for a lot of years. And so, and, and, and God's allowed me to go through a lot of pain. Um, I've left, you know, I've, I've left a lot of destruction in my path with, you know, two divorces, um, and just, just this constant victimization entitled mindset, you know, like poor me, why me I deserve and all this other stuff. 
And, and so September 12th, 2010, um, when we were, we were on that mission in, um, in the Chutu Valley, Chutu River Valley, clearing along the Hellman river, clearing, you know, village and everything like that. We've been in gunfights there for four months. So, and, um, I, in the first village that we entered, I happened to be, you know, um, part of the Clarence team because I'm an 18 Charlie and that's, that's what you do. Um, but this entire village was, was IED with IED. I mean, IEDs that when you step on them, you're dead, you're red mist, maybe um, an, up, an upper torso, but probably not. And so, you know, as I was, as we were clearing the village that night, it was, it just went from September 11th to September 12th. Um, everyone in the States is still, you know, um, you know, um, doing all the, uh, memorial stuff for September 11th and everything like that. But the, you know, the first compound we went to there, you know, I, I stepped on a pressure plate IED in the compound breachway or doorway or whatever you want to call it. And, and so, you know, as I'm laying there on the ground, um, my team can't get to me because, you know, the, the situation was one of our, our interpreter, had went up to the breach point trying to wave in a bunch of Afghans because they were too scared to go to the compound because, oh, surprise, surprise, they knew it was all IED. <laughs> um, and so I went down to the compound to pull him away because we can't afford to lose our interpreter. And um, and so when, um, you know, when I stepped on that IED and, you know, I'm laying there on the ground, um, you know, trying unsuccessfully to put my tourniquet on or anything like that, you know, I started looking back on my life and I was not happy, you know, with the man that I was, you know, very selfish, very entitled, um, just destructive, um, little boy that was laying there on the ground fighting for his life. And, um, and, and so, you know, and it was taking my team, you know, almost three minutes to get to me because you can never rush. You have to clear up to it. That's why we call it self-aid and buddy aid. Um, you can't rush to it cause you're in a minefield because the Taliban never placed just one IED. No. Neither do the Russians is where there's one, there's five or 10. Um, but so they're clearing up to me. And I, I just remember, you know, um, asking for forgiveness for, you know, the life that I had led and, and just being the, you know, the, that ugly person that I was laying on the ground, just like, what, why were you, why did you do that? Um, and so, you know, that all led up to, you know, later on when, you know, I'm in the hospital and I'm going through some very, very dark times in my life. And, um, and then all of a sudden I'm starting to figure out what happened And my team, you know, they told me, they were like, Hey, you, you stepped on a 25 pound IED. Only a quarter of it went off all the IEDs in this village. If we would have went further into the village, guys were going to die. And, and so, then, you know, as I start to take control over my life again, quit being a victim, quit being entitled, quit feeling sorry for myself. And as I start to take control over my life and, and use this experience, not only to make myself stronger, but to renew my relationship with God and to, um, and to, and, and to make myself stronger, to help other people. I didn't know how yet, but now all of a sudden I started to see, I'm fairly certain, you know, God put that IED there for me 
because when I actually, um, I, I do believe, and a lot of people don't understand it, but I believe that that IED saved my life. And, and, and he allowed me, he said, you're not listening to me. So, um, I'm going to have to do something because your dad's correct. You're stupid, but I'm going to have to do something and it's going to hurt really bad. But you know, there's, there, there's something bigger for you. And it's not that I'm this great person. No, no, no. It's just, you know, that was the sign that was the wake up call God gave me. And so I do believe that that IED was placed there, um, to get my attention and to eventually save my life. And it, and it did, you know, that was 2010 and, and yeah, I've battled back and forth, um, for years, uh, just with, you know, um, you know, who am I or the, the same thing everybody does because uh, mental health isn't like, all right, well, found my purpose or not my purpose, but all right, I overcame that. I'm good to go. Life is going to be smooth sailing because in Hollywood movies all in right now, I'm good. And then you hit that next pitfall and the next one and the next one, because life is brutal <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and surprise, nobody owes you anything. And so as you're getting beat down, it's just because it's life. Well, all of that from 2010 till 2022, February, 2022, when, you know, when I actually found like, I'm fairly certain because how, how Ukraine even evolved for me was, was, was cool. I mean, not coincidence because nothing is, but it was a miracle. You know, I'm just sitting there. I have a high paying government job, um, deploying, going to Syria and I'm Afghanistan. I closed down Afghanistan, all that stuff should be happy. Money's coming in, but I have no purpose. I I am nobody. Then Ukraine kicks off. The next thing I know, I'm talking to David Cunningham, who him and I have formed a great relationship from the book that I never wanted to write in the first place. Um, because it wasn't a book, it was therapy. It was journaling. But now I'm talking to David Cunningham who he's like, yeah, I, I mean, I got some connections in Ukraine, Surprise, his family founded Youth with a Mission. Mm. I was like, oh, well, I'm not really youth. He's like, you're not tracking what we do. And now I'm in Ukraine a week later, and everything has evolved to what it is right now. So, yeah, I, 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 I do believe if you allow God to show you a path in the direction, it's probably going to end up helping people, and you may fight it all the way till you step on an IED and then continue fighting it. (laughs) Um, you know, but in the end, if you allow God to show you what he has planned for you, I I believe, you know, in my instance, you know, um, tip the sphere landmine removal is, is going to be born from, I still haven't figured it all out, but I know God has a reason for it. I just, I'm just too, uh, like you said, I think God oftentimes looks down and he goes, geez, man, this kid is. <laughs> oh yeah. But, we could, we could talk a lot more about that. There's a great prayer. I think it comes from medieval times and a, uh, a prince who was about to go off into, into battle. He said, Lord, I'm going to be very busy today and I will probably forget about you, but, uh, please do not forget about me. Um, <laughs> but you know, and, uh, and each one of us is a work in progress. Um, none, none mm-hmm. of us, none of us is perfect, um, but we we always have hope. And there's always there's always something greater outside of ourselves that we can work toward and contribute to. And, and I think mm-hmm. your your story is an incredible story of resiliency and hope. 
uh, and and can inspire that hope and in, in, in faith in in others. Um, so Ryan, yeah, thank you so much for spending all all of your time with us uh, today. Uh, I want to be respectful of of that. Um, and, and sharing that with us. And so for, for any of our listeners too, you know, you gotta, gotta find the book cause there's so much ground that we didn't get to cover this afternoon. Um, but it is a, a really an inspiring story. So God bless you, Ryan and, and your family and the, and the work that you're doing. Um, it, well, can you tell our listeners, um, kind of how to, how to find you and where, where they can, can look you up? So, um, this is the part where I struggle greatly. So I am on, Instagram at, um, is it RMH tip of the spear? I think. No, it's, it's changed. I had to change it cause I was getting, um, so many fake, I think it's Ryan M Hendrickson dot tip of the spear. <laughs> okay. We'll find it. We'll, um, and we'll share the, we'll, we'll, we'll share yeah, that in the yeah. notes. I really need to figure out how to, uh, how to better tell people how to find me. I, I don't know. Well, What's the joke? You know, let me Google that for you, right? Uh, if people want to find yeah. you, they can they can find you and, and and look you up, and we'll we'll share some links too. But uh, yeah, awesome. Ryan, God bless you and, and Dawn and your family, and uh, I, I know there's a lot more that we could have talked about, but um, thank you uh, and, oh, yeah. and God bless your work. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Absolutely. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.